When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Wednesday edition of the Orange Brown Talk podcast. I'm Dan Lobby, joined by Mary Kate Cabot and Ashley Bastock. Uh, we, I came up with some questions here right before we hit record for this podcast, so we're going to go through a few here uh, as we grind into the offseason here for the Cleveland Browns. Uh, so here's a subject we've talked a lot about, the needs that this team has. It's always wondering, let's come up with a hypothetical, where for, for whatever reason, you can only pick one position so you can only choose one defensive tackle edge rusher or wide receiver which position would you address mary Kay? oh gosh this is such a hard one it's really really a hard one because uh you know there's two different ways i would really you know want to answer this but i have to pick one and it's, I don't know. I just have to go with receiver. I just feel like Deshaun Watson needs more weapons. And in watching, you know, in watching the playoffs, really, I, you know, seeing the DJ readers and the big defensive tackles uh, that, that played so well, Chris Jones and those guys, I mean, it really made me realize how much the Browns need one of those guys. But if I were the GM of the Browns and I only had one thing, I would pick the wide receiver because I think the most important thing for this football team next season is for Deshaun Watson to be successful. And in order for him to be wildly successful, I think he needs more than what he has right now. You're only going to be as good as the guys you are throwing the ball to. And I don't think that he magically is going to be able to transform everyone and turn all these, you know, sort of developmental people into Pro Bowl receivers right away. So I'm going wide receiver, Pro Bowl caliber wide receiver, somebody amazing that can come in here and either compliment Amari Cooper really well um, or something along those lines, that caliber of player. So Ashley, I think one of the cases to be made for wide receiver is when you, you know, like Mary Kay was saying, you look at some of the playoff teams, um, Philadelphia has A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. They've got playmakers. Um, Cincinnati, we know about all the guys that they have. San Francisco has Christian McCaffrey and Debo Sam. I'm really the only team that doesn't have like elite-level wide receivers is Kansas City, but they've got Travis Kelsey, who's maybe the best pass-catching tight end ever. So clearly you've got to have playmakers on offense to be successful, and we, and we could go back – any number of years and probably look at teams and say, these are the teams that were successful. They had a whole bunch of playmakers, uh, whether it was a receiver or someplace else. It's, it's a very tempting thing to, to say, you know what, forget everything else. Just go get a bunch of receivers. It is. And especially from the standpoint of look at how much you have invested as a franchise in Deshaun Watson 
monetarily wise and in a lot of other aspects, considering how controversial it was to trade for him in the first place last year. So if you're going to spend all this money, if you're going to give him a record setting contract and guarantee $230 million, I think at that point you have to essentially sell out and say, okay, we have to give this guy everything he needs in order to make this worth it. Because as we've talked about time and time again, when you make a move like that and you trade for the caliber of quarterback that Deshaun Watson is, you do so with the intention of winning a Super Bowl. So the argument for that essentially becomes like, okay, well, we can't just kind of, you know, mosey along and see and wait for guys to develop because you're assuming then, okay, our window is now, it's while he's here, and he needs the weapons to go out and be able to be the Deshaun Watson from 2020 and before that a lot of people remember him as, I think. Okay, so that being said, Ashley, what is your answer to this question? (laughs) That being said, um, for the sake of discussion, I am actually going to go with defensive tackle because it is bleak there right now. And I think looking at past Jim Schwartz defenses – And if he does implement, you know, it's been a few years since he's been a D coordinator. We don't know exactly what this defensive system is going to look like. But assuming he goes with that wide nine kind of scheme again, defensive tackles take on a lot more responsibility in a defense like that because you're creating one-on-one matchups for your pass rushers. So in turn, they kind of, since you're lining them up wider in that nine spot a a lot of the time, the defensive tackles could wind up matched up with offensive tackles. Um, So I just think it's a lot more responsibility. And I was looking at, you know, where these guys from this past year ranked in terms of like their defensive grade on PFF, the highest graded guy on in the defensive tackle position for the Browns was Taven Bryan with a 60 defensive grade. And that was ranked number 72 in the league among defensive tackles with a minimum snap count. And then the next closest guy is Perion Winfrey at 128, Jordan Elliott at 131, and Tommy Togi at 132. So things just were so bad there this year. I think you really need to get like at least one key, really like hardcore guy that can truly make a difference and not count on another year of maybe some of these younger guys like Perion Winfrey or Jordan Elliott needing to develop because I think you need that guy like now. So Mary Kay, I'm sure there are listeners out there who have been screaming, guys, it's defensive tackle. It's got to be defensive tackle. You know, but you, I mean, you made the case for wide receiver. Spoiler alert, I'm going to make a case for for the other position and not just because it's the only one left. Um, Is defensive tackle just too boring? (laughs) Is, is Is that our problem? You know, it could be. It's not, you know, the sexiest position in the world. And we know for a fact that this particular regime, at least before Jim Schwartz was hired, uh, you know, just has not put much stock or faith or money into into defensive tackles and believes that you can, uh, you know, put your resources into the ends and make do and get by with some sort of marginal defensive tackles. But I really do agree with, with Ashley that you've got to have uh, a tremendous upgrade. You've got to have a really good one. Uh, I think it will change the dynamics of the whole linebacker room. If you can get that guy, uh, I think it will help miles Garrett. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I keep thinking, all right, well, you know, what if Jim Schwartz can pull out 
the talent of a Perry on Winfrey? And what if he can inspire Jordan Elliott to be what everyone thought he was going to be? I guess that's, you know, part of my line of thinking. But the rest of it is really just comes down to Deshaun Watson has to be successful or it's good night, Irene. I mean, forget it. That's what has to happen for this football team. He's got to look good and he's got to look good fast. He cannot wait. It can't be, you know, week eight, the lights come on for everybody. They have to be good. They have, they've got to hit the ground running. It's an incredibly difficult division to get out of. Uh, the quarterbacks are so incredibly good. He needs more than what he has now. And I am going to give it to him. So I'm going edge rusher. I think that, you know, we've talked about it on this podcast. And Ashley, I think I saw you sent out a text today about it, too, before we came on here. It really was Miles Garrett and nothing else. Um, you know, Jadavion Clowney, I think when you watched, you know, he was getting into the backfield and, you know, you saw number 90 out there. Uh, but everybody else was just really like, you know, Alex Wright didn't record a sack. Isaiah Thomas, you know, by the end of the season, he wasn't even active. And that's not to give up on those guys, you know, because I tweeted out at one point this offseason that like, hey, this pass rush was like Miles Garrett and nobody else. They really need edge rushers. And somebody replied, well, I'm not giving up on Alex Wright and Isaiah Thomas. Well, I'm not either. But I also don't want to just count on those two guys. I want to take a little pressure off of them and, and not just go into next season with one of those two guys or another rookie as my number two edge rusher. So I think I would pick edge rusher here because I think it's still a really important position. And I think you've got to come up with some way to help Miles Garrett beyond just hiring Jim Schwartz. I think that will help Miles Garrett, but I think you've got to add some guys too, because even that year in Buffalo, when you had all those double digit sackers, those guys were really talented. I mean, there were a lot of, those were names. Those weren't just guys that he molded into double digit sack guys. Those were names. So I think edge rusher, I, I would pick edge rusher here. Um, Ashley, I mean, like I said, you texted about this earlier, about the edge rush, about it being a priority. Could you be talked into that over tackle? I don't know if I could be necessarily talked into it. Like you do make a strong case, Dan. I think like at the end of the day, the only reason I'm like, I don't know if I would make that if you're telling me I can only get that and I can't get a receiver or a defensive tackle. Like I just think the other positions need more help because at the end of the day, the Browns still do have Miles Garrett. And a lot of teams don't even have one Miles Garrett, don't have a guy close to that caliber. Um, I do think that he needs help though. And I guess the when I sent out that text, it was more so because the story kind of looked at throughout the line, right? Like not just edge rushers, but you're lumping edge rushers and D tackles together for that. Um, and I said, you know, I think there's a world where you could make an argument where they need to go and find like three guys on that line interspersed between tackle and edge rusher. Uh, because I think in a perfect world this past year, like Alex Wright, you know, showed some flashes and showed like, hey, he's good at batting the ball down. It was kind of a culture shock for him to come into the NFL and have to, you know, try to rush quarterbacks. Like he admitted that, that it's a lot different than UAB when you get to the NFL. I think in a perfect world, like they wouldn't have even had to rely on him as much this past year as they did. You know, Jadavian was hurt in and out. Chase Winovich couldn't stay healthy for a big part of the year. I think like maybe in a perfect world, like you get Alex Wright some meaningful snaps and keep working with him, but he's still behind guys like Jadavian and Chase Winovich. If those guys are healthy and contributing to like 
past levels that they have in their career. So I'm with you. Like, I don't think you give up on those guys. I really like Isaiah Thomas. I think he's, you can make an argument. He's better at rushing the passer than Alex Wright is right now. Um, But like you said, you know, it's like, these guys are so young. They're very raw. I think you have to be patient with them. Um, So I can see your argument for getting somebody more seasoned, especially now that Jadavian's, you know, assuming he is not going to be back given everything that happened the final week of the season. (laughs) Mary Kay, where would you put edge rusher? Um, would, would that be your second choice if I said you can't have a wide receiver or is it still behind defensive tackle? You know what? This is such a great question that you came up with because in my mind, and I, we've talked about this on the spot, every time I think about these three players that, you know, that we think that they need, uh, I really struggle to rank them. I really have a hard time ranking them. And I actually think, we all we are all right, and we are all making a really, really good case for these positions. I mean, there's not one thing that I think they can leave off of the table and be successful next year. You have to have that number two edge uh, to take that pressure off, off Miles and to get to the quarterback and for Jim Schwartz to run his defense the way he wants to. You have to have that defensive tackle to do the same thing. And they're going to want to make their defensive coordinator happy and give him some guys so that he can focus on the defensive line and have it be the way that he wants it to be. And if I were the team, I, I have a feeling that they probably feel like the receiver maybe is less important than those things. I, you know, I don't know for sure. Um, but, you know, maybe they don't see it that way. Maybe they think, hey, we've got David Njoku. We've got Amari Cooper. We've got Donovan Peoples-Jones. We've got these two young guys. Now we've got Deshaun Watson, and he's coming along, and he's going to make everybody better. Uh, but I don't see it that way. I think they have to have that guy. Um, but in terms of edge rusher, oh, gosh, it, it's hard. Because I could make a case that maybe I would put edge rusher ahead of defensive tackle. I think I would. I think I probably would go receiver, number two edge, and then defensive tackle, even though it pains me to do that after watching the playoffs and after watching some really good defensive tackles. Okay, let's move on to our next question here. This is another, uh, you got to kind of choose one. I guess you could say, I guess you could say none, but uh, most likely player to be on the roster week one. So I came up with John Johnson the third, Jakeem Grant, Kareem Hunt, and Greedy Williams. Of those four, the most likely to be on the roster week one. I think there's, I don't want to say obvious, I think there's kind of an obvious answer, but I think the other guys are interesting to discuss. So Ashley, what's your answer to this question? This is tough, and like I can make a case for multiple of them, but I right now I think I am leaning towards JJ3 with some kind of restructured contract. Like he was just such a big acquisition. I think Mary Kay's talked about this, I know, like he hasn't been able to live up to his versatility, I don't think, in Joe Wood's defense, the way that we saw him do in LA. Um, I do think they value his presence there. I think this defense kind of needs some vocal leaders, and he's one of the few guys I think they have that you can really fit in that category. Um, so I think he, of this group, is the most likely to still be a Brown. Mary Kay, do you agree, or do you, are you looking at one of these other guys? 
Dan, another really, really good question. You are on fire today with these questions. Um, I, I really don't see any of these guys coming back, uh, but I, I would have to agree with Ashley that if one of them uh, has the, the best chance of returning, it would be JJ3, but it has to be on a restructure. They're not going to bring him back at $13.5 million cap hit. Um, the only way that happens, and again, I really don't see it happening, is if Jim Schwartz goes to Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski and says, I've got to have JJ3. He's exactly what I need in a safety, and he's my guy, and I think he can do so much more than he's done for you guys here, and, you know, and I need him. If that happens, then he's back. If that doesn't happen, then I think he's gone like the rest of them. And, uh, you know, I think the first thing that'll happen is that they will try to do the restructure. But if they can't make that work, then I think he goes the way of the others. So that was that was the one that I was thinking. Like, that's like the obvious answer, right? That's the one of those three. You know, Jakeem Grant is making a lot of money to be a returner, and Jerome Ford did a pretty nice job uh, doing that for them. Can I make a case for Greedy Williams? That was my other guy I was thinking about, just because I'm like, is there going to be an outside market for him? Like, can the Browns get him on the cheap was kind of my thought process. Yeah, so you're you're kind of in the same place as I am, Ashley. Like, you can never have enough corners, and I, I don't know that there's a ton of playing time here for Greedy, but at the same time, you know, Mary Kay, could this play out? I think we've even talked about this on another pod. Could this play out a little bit like the Ronnie Harrison thing where, yeah, it's like the middle of April and he hasn't signed anywhere and the Browns have, you know, a couple million dollars to throw at him to come back and add depth to that cornerback room and push Martin Emerson a little bit. I, I, I could maybe see that kind of scenario. Yeah, I mean, it's not impossible. I would say unlikely. Unlikely, not impossible. And again, you know, it does come down to quality depth at the right price. If you can get uh, any of these guys back at, you know, a bargain basement price and it fits with what you need in that room, then there is a chance potentially that any of them could come back under those circumstances. Um, but it just feels like goodbye for Greedy. It feels like goodbye for most of these guys. Uh, we talked about Kareem Hunt a little bit yesterday in that regard. Um, so I, I don't really see any of them coming back, uh, but we cannot slam the door shut on any of them. Okay. Yeah. If you want to hear the Kareem Hunt discussion, it was the, the second Hey Mary, Hey Mary K pod that went up on Tuesday. So go back and, uh, and check that out. It's right. It's actually right at the very end um, of that podcast, but you should still listen to the whole thing if you haven't listened to it. Yet. <laughs> uh, okay. We're going to take a break. I've got two more questions here on the orange and Brown talk podcast. And welcome back to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. So let's look ahead as Pro Bowl rosters uh, officially locked in today. Um, Wyatt Teller was added. Uh, Tyler Huntley was added as a quarterback. It was uh, He had made it as an alternate, so I don't think people should be as surprised as they were. Uh, the surprise should have come when he made it as an alternate in the first place. But we're not here to talk about Tyler Huntley. The Cleveland Browns player most likely to make his first Pro Bowl next season will be blank. And by the way, we won't count. So like Wyatt Teller made it. So he's made a pro and he's been in one before anyway. Um, 
David Njoku was an alternate this year, so that doesn't really, we're not going to count that as him making his first Pro Bowl just for uh, record keeping purposes here to answer this question. So, again, the most likely Browns player to make the Pro Bowl for the first time next season is blank. Mary Kay, do you have one? Yeah, I think I am going to go with David Njoku. Uh, I think that the fact that he was an alternate this year. Uh, means that he is at least on the doorstep. And I think that um, when he has Deshaun Watson throwing him the ball for the whole entire season, he should have some more touchdown passes. He should make some noise. He should should get plenty of targets and make some some really nice, difficult catches. And we know he's a good blocker. So the fact that he almost made it this year and he only had Deshaun for six games, leads me to believe, and he, and he missed some games too, leads me to believe that that he has the potential to make it next season. I'm going with David Njoku. Yeah, that feels like, again, that feels like if there was a kind of a gimme answer for this. And that that's really important, the point that he was an alternate this year. That's sort of how the Pro Bowl works sometimes, is you kind of build your way up to it and you kind of get your name in the mix and then it builds from there. Um, Ashley, I'm looking through the roster and I'm actually having trouble finding guys that would be their, their first Pro Bowl outside of Najoku. Do you have anybody? I have a couple ideas, no, but I want to hear if, if you've got anybody. Najoku was for me, like the guy that I was thinking of and kind of like Mary Kay touched on there at the end. Like not only was he an alternate this year, but he did that, like she said, without Deshaun Watson throwing him the ball the entire year. And like, he struggled with injuries this year himself. So, like, I think even though he, he matches the touchdown total from last year, and I think you did see those flashes from him of him starting to take that next step. I know we had a lengthy discussion about saving Njoku uh, last week when we did our season-ending awards, so we won't relitigate the whole thing. But I do think even though he's entering year seven, like, there is feasibly room for him to grow because of the youth. I think especially if he can stay healthy and be active for every game next year with Deshaun throwing him the ball. So he was kind of the obvious guy for me too. Okay. So I'm going to try and come up with a couple outside the box uh, guesses here. Could Grant Delpit be in this discussion? If he Mm -hmm. plays like he did in December and he plays that out of, let's say he gets like, I actually called up the NFL interception leaders this year. There were a number of guys with six, um, including a couple of safeties. So if he gets like five or six interceptions and mm-hmm. has a really good season in Jim Schwartz's defense, Mary Kay, is he kind of an out-of-the-box, outside-the-box option here for making a first Pro Bowl? Yeah, the um, the other three guys that I wrote down as, as potential Pro Bowlers here were all on the defensive side of the ball, and then I have one dark horse honorable mention. Um, but I definitely think that that Grant Delpit was one of the guys that I put down thinking that if he, uh, you know, once again, another year out from the ruptured Achilles, and then if, you know, if he really flourishes in Jim Schwartz's scheme, uh, I do think that, that he can uh, play at a Pro Bowl level and actually go ahead and make it. And he is kind of a ball hawk. And so if the guys up front are playing better and we expect them to, we for sure expect more pressure, more sacks up front. Once again, as a reminder, the Philadelphia Eagles led the NFL with 70 sacks. The Browns had less than half of that at 34, tied for 27. 
So you should expect that number to increase to, I would think, around 50 sacks next year in a perfect world if it's all going the way that that you want it to. That will open up opportunities for the guys in the back end. And therefore, uh, I see better things ahead for them. And I think that Grant could definitely be the beneficiary of it. You said you had you said you had other guys. Who else did you have? I'm curious because I have another guy that I would throw in there too. I wonder if we have the same person. Uh, well, I had um, JOK as one of them. Again, once again, if the front does what it's supposed to do, then the guys behind should benefit, and the lights should really come on for JOK next year. Remember how the lights came on this past year for Sione Taki Taki? That could happen next year. For JOK. And if the lights come on and he understands really where he's supposed to be at all times, uh, because it's a little bit of a freelancey kind of a job that he has. Uh, but if he really gets where he's supposed to be and, and really understands and assimilates Jim Schwartz's defense, he can make some noise and he can do some really cool things. So I think he's got potential. Greg Newsome, if Greg gets back to playing uh, at, you know, the, you know, his strength, which he believes is on the outside. If he gets to do more of that, who knows? There's a chance that that maybe he can play at a Pro Bowl level as well. Now, the the difficulty there is the fact that who are you going to take off the outside? Are you going to take Denzel off off of there? Are you going to take Martin out of there? You know, I I don't know how that's going to go. I don't know if they know how it's going to go yet. But uh, in the event that Greg gets either more time on the outside and feels better there or comes into more of a comfort zone at Nickelback, then perhaps he can rise to the level of a Pro Bowl caliber player. And then I still do have my dark horse, if you want to know about that now. I'll say this, Ashley. I had Newsom in mind, uh, especially if he's in a better – I actually kind of passed over JOK, but that's a good one too. Ooh. Yeah, no, JOK was the other one I was kind of thinking of as basically for what Mary Kay said, you know, with both of those guys, though, we talked about last year, like, so much about how are they going to make this jump in their second year. And obviously, I think neither really did JOK struggled with injuries again. But I think in this system, if they can really shore up up front, like he could be, I think you could really start to see his versatility utilized more if the system looks like what we think it's going to look like. Um, so he was the other guy I kind of thought of as the non-obvious choice there, guy who might take some work, but I think it's possible given like raw talent and what we saw in 2021. Okay. So I'm intrigued. Who's the dark horse? <laughs> the dark horse candidate is someone who would have to resign here. He is not going to be under contract unless they extend him, re-sign him. And that is center Ethan Posick. If he comes back here, plays again for the second season under Bill Callahan, who got a tremendous season out of him last year, uh, I think he can make some noise for Pro Bowl center. And, uh, you know, as it was, he was ranked the number 11 center in according to Pro Football Focus. So he's starting to get up there and, you know, and make some noise at the position. And I also think he's going to get some attention. He's going to get some run in, uh, in free agency. So his name will be out there a little bit. And then um, if they win, I mean, you've, you know, you've got to win to, to really 
come from behind as a dark horse candidate and get those sort of accolades. But if they start to win and make some noise on the football field, he's somebody that I think will be looked at. So it's funny. I actually thought about him too. Um, The only thing that gave me pause is offensive line, especially is such a repeat position. Like once, once Mm -hmm. a guy starts making them, it's like everybody just kind of votes for that guy because nobody, nobody pays attention to the offensive line. Right. And I mean, JC Treader, all those years, couldn't get uh, on a Pro Bowl roster, and he was pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. He probably he probably deserved to to make a few before he called it quits. But that being said, I don't know that there's like a dominant center. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the rosters now for this year, um, and it's it's Creed Humphrey, it's Mitch Morse, it's uh, Ben Jones. I mean, none of those guys are like household names, at least as, as much of a household names as, as a center can be. Uh, so I, I was thinking about throwing po- Posick's name out there. So Ashley, I'm, I'm glad that I'm not completely insane in thinking that, that I'm not uh, just on an island over here, Posick Island. Yeah, I mean, he could be a pro bowler. And especially before he got hurt. I mean, I wrote a lot about him around that time he hurt his knee against Buffalo. And he was like just literally number two in the league behind Creed Humphrey in a lot of categories. And he kind of dropped off when he came back a little bit. Um, I do think that knee affected him, but he, when he was good, he was really good. When he was healthy, he was really good, especially in the early part of the season. And again, what I think I've always, or what I've liked about him this year and getting to see him play is he's so, he has that size, but he can move and he has that athleticism, I think, to be able to block for a guy like Deshaun Watson. So I think if once this line kind of figures that out and gets in step, um, he might be able to showcase that a little bit more. And yeah, like Mary Kay says, so much of it's about name recognition. If there's a little, you know, free agency talk and interest around him, that might ultimately help him a few months later when the Pro Bowl voting comes up. Last question here. This has to do with the big NFL news of the day. For the second year in a row, Tom Brady has retired. This one has to be it. I mean, you can't come back after two retirements. That's... That's it. Although I I guess Michael Jordan managed to do it. Um, But anyway, Tom Brady retires for the second year in a row. So I was curious about your favorite Tom Brady memory. Mary Kay, what, what jumps out to you when you think Tom Brady, what memory stands out? Well, a lot of things stand out, but I would have to say uh, my, my number one favorite Tom Brady memory is when I actually got a chance to meet him and Giselle. Um, he showed up at a at the um, NBA Finals, and I just so happened to be kind of like doing a sidebar that night or something. I, I was there, and I was down in the um, you know in the corridor down there where the locker rooms are, and um, and he is really good friends with former Browns tight end, Aaron O'Shea and a a group of guys that went to Michigan together. And I know the mom of one of those guys. And so Terry was down there at the same time. And she said to me, Hey, do you want, do you, do you want to meet Tommy and Giselle? (laughs) And I was like, Oh, Okay, sure. I'll meet Tommy and Giselle. And um, and so lo and behold, she introduced me to to them and I got an opportunity to to stand there and, and talk to both of them for for a second and 
you know, I just, I thought, you know, he's the kind of person that if he meets you in that moment, you know, he gives you his full attention. He wasn't looking over there or over there. I mean, he'd like really like kind of, you know, looks you in the eye and gives you that moment. And I thought that was really cool. I thought that was very, very telling about him. Um, so that was, that was my moment to actually have a chance to, to talk to the goat, uh, you know, one-on-one like that. Now we have interviewed him, you know, over, you know, the telephone doing, you know, conference calls and stuff like that with him, but to actually meet him face to face and also get a chance to meet Giselle face to face, kind of a cool moment. Ashley, what do you have? Well, I don't have any cool, it's it's hard to follow up Mary Kay on a question like this. I don't have any cool meeting Tom Brady stories, of course. And, you know, before when Dan was giving us a little preview of the questions, I'm like, I don't have any good Tom Brady memories. Like I'm from Cleveland. I was never a Patriots fan. I think like most people here, you know, when I was growing up, it was just like, God, can that guy just stop winning? Like if anything, I liked watching Peyton Manning more than him. So I fell kind of onto that side of the aisle. But I will say like the thing I'll miss about Tom Brady, number one, like large scale is like, I think he's just for so many people and especially like people my age and like their early thirties or their, their twenties, like for so he's just been in the league so long. That's like a huge part of my childhood of remembering the NFL. Um, he's the player. I think you associate with the NFL the same way, you know, people associate Michael Jordan with the NBA. Um, so I think I'll miss that. I'll also miss like the memes and the internet discussion around him because that was always just entertaining. I mean, even this last year um, when he's just so, you know, he's, he's not quite to that level on the field, but you know, it's still there. Like there were some other issues with that team, I think, but all the drama, the memes, the, the famous crying interview about being taken in the sixth round, um, all the, obviously the divorce drama this year was quite a sight to watch the TikTok theories that Giselle had was somehow like a witch and calling her power back and making Tom Brady worse on the football field and cursing the bucks. Like all of that drama that surrounds him. I think you have to be such a good player to kind of cause that kind of reaction on social media anymore. So I'll definitely miss that. It was entertaining, but if he goes in that broadcast booth, Hey, maybe we'll still get it to some degree. Ashley, you could have, your runner up could be um, that, you you ended up being one of the first people to know that Tom and Giselle were going yes. to split because yes. somehow I found out about it. Yes, um, that is true. That might it be hit, it before it even hit the news. And you did. That was around the time people were suggesting maybe Tom's not at training camp because he's on the Masked Singer, which we now know is not true. And then you were like, I don't know. Like, there's this feeling, and I'm like, huh. You know what? This is entertaining. This drama is yeah. legit. So that that's my that's my real answer, but yeah, okay. I got a tip. They were on 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 the rocks. Of course, I couldn't <laughs> yeah. do anything about you know. I yeah, other I than tell me, whisper it to my yeah, whisper I told my Ashley. She told so she... me I kept that secret, and you know we we can talk about it now. But <laughs> yes, yeah, that was like in the summer. That was like in early in the summer. Yeah, yeah. Mine mine comes with a little trivia, some Browns trivia for you, but um. You know, just to just to kind of keep it to like an experience with Tom Brady. It's not the goat hair shoes, even though I, I kind of wanted to to say Odell Beckham giving Tom Brady goat hair shoes. Although Mary Kay, I don't know if you remember after that game in New England, yeah. Tom actually bringing his kids down the yes. tunnel to meet Odell Beckham. Yes, yes, absolutely. Which, which was kind of which that. was kind of cool. Well, we stood there for a long time watching those guys talk because remember, um, Odell was on the Come Get Me tour at the time. Remember? I mean, he was, he was, on, he was like, uh, 
he wanted anybody that could save him and get him out of Cleveland. Um, but he definitely spent time, you know, the two, uh, you know, the two superstars there standing there talking to each other and Tom wanting his kids to meet Odell was, you know, that was definitely a cool moment. So for me, it's um, in 2017, Tom's first game back from the deflate gate suspension was in Cleveland. And so mm-hmm. it was like, this was the irrelevant. They were 0 for the Browns um, and Cleveland kind of became the center of the NFL universe that day. And I remember just kind of staking out the locker room to get video of Tom walking out of the tunnel. And I think, I think Tom Withers was with me and we, we actually tried to walk down a tunnel where he was throwing, he was, he was throwing passes in the tunnel and a security guard. And this is the tunnel everybody walks through to get to the press box. And a security guard like yelled at us that we weren't allowed to even see Tom throw passes um, mm-hmm. in the tunnel, which is funny because big Ben did it all the time. And I think if you would have, like gone and just started catching passes from him. He would have been fine, Um, but not Tom. But being there kind of for that moment when he came back, and then, of course, they went on to win the Super Bowl that year, um, was was kind of cool. Here's my trivia, though. The Browns that day, that was also the last time Joel Batonio, uh, that was when he got his Liz Frank injury. That was the last time he missed any snaps in his career. But So obviously Tom played quarterback that day. For the Browns, three players threw passes. Cody Kessler was one of them. He was the starter. Can you name the other two? I don't think I would have been able to do this without actually looking it up. Cody Kessler started, got hurt. Two other players threw passes in that game for the Browns. Can you think of who they are? One was not a quarterback. And the other is not a quarterback. Yes, Terrell Pryor's one. And then this other one, if somebody one? gets this one, if somebody gets this one, I'll be shocked. This is a quarterback that I'm trying to think of a good hint here. You wouldn't really associate with the Browns. I think people forget he played for the Browns. Um, I think, I believe he dated Jewel at one point. Hmm. Trying to. I can't remember. This is. It's a tough one because he was not with the Browns for very long. Charlie Whitehurst. Oh, Charlie. (laughs) Charlie Whitehurst threw 24 passes that day. Oh, my God. Charlie. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) I didn't know about the dating jewel thing. I was so stuck on that. That was such a (laughs) random, like, clue to give, honestly. I don't know. I don't know a lot about... I don't know a lot about... uh, Old Charlie Whitehurst. I don't even know if that's factually correct. I, no, I think Mary it Kay is. said it is. I, I think okay. it is, yeah. Well, I do remember <laughs> that. A lot, of, uh, a lot of gossip here on today's Again, podcast. Again, <laughs> this is the gossip pod. Mm-hmm. All right. There we go. Four questions about the Browns here on a Wednesday uh, Orange Brown Talk podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, and also become a football insider subscriber, cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up. Thanks for listening, everybody. Mm-hmm.